0: Ask First, Point Guard, and Trailblazers reporter Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, coming to you a little bit later in the week, but still a mailbag episode nonetheless. We do a mailbag program, mailbag episode each week on this show, answering listeners submitted questions all episode long if you want to get involved there's two ways to do it you can tweet at me at mike g rich on twitter uh just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it it helps me uh it helps just to clarify if mark it some way that it's a mailbag uh either a hashtag or just write out the words that way i know that it's it's intended for the show or you can watch my Twitter feed on Mondays when I will send out a tweet soliciting questions for the episode. You respond to that tweet. I will do my best to get you in the show that night or a future episode. If you are not a Twitter user, you can still get involved. You can email me locked on at gmail.com that is locked on at gmail.com. Those are two ways to get involved. Like I said, we do this each week and I'd love to have you participate, whether that's just listening along or asking questions. Get involved with mailbag; it's a ton of fun. Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays mailbag from your ears. So let's get into it. The first question comes from Jab Me Baby One More Time at PaintinPDX on Twitter, who asks: After Chauncey Billups being in the Clippers system, where guys get plenty of load management, do you think the Blazers will manage Dame the way other teams manage their elite players? If so, can you see a scenario where that helps at all in the playoffs? Uh, let's do these questions in reverse. Certainly rest will help in the playoffs. Uh, The NBA is a long, grueling season. Uh, just less miles on you really really will will help like it's just it's it, there's just it's just obvious science there but um the load management thing is not so much like a clippers thing or whatever it's star specific like the clippers rested Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi Leonard prefers to rest like he's he's done that at other stops he did it in san antonio and a kind of um you know he kind of sat out a whole season um maybe forcing a trade but like dealing with an injury that he was criticized for and it kind of um, kind of broke up that relationship there he did it in Toronto as part of the deal he was going to rest he was going to take care of his body and he did it, in, it with the Clippers like this is that is a, a star specific thing Dame is not that way he doesn't prefer to rest uh, I don't think this has really anything to do with Chauncey Billups's uh, coaching philosophy or anything like that I think it's unrelated to the coach I think it's totally related to Dame could the Blazers convince Dame to rest Maybe you know, maybe they could try to figure out ways to get him a night off every two weeks. But it, the Blazers have to be good. You have to have a chance to win those games. The Blazers have not been in a position where they could sacrifice wins and sit out their best player. And I don't think that much has changed. So I don't anticipate that happening. Um, and I certainly think it's mostly tied to Damian Lillard's preferences. Next question comes from Vegan Mindset Coach at Mindset Vegan on Twitter, who asks, "What is your?" Opinion of preseason games as a fan. I might have an opportunity to see one th- this year. Finally, getting back to the U.S. Are they worth it, or should I hit a late December games instead, or both? I mean, the obvious answer here is both. Um, if there are no, uh, if you're able to, both time-wise and financially. Going to multiple games is always going to be more fun. Uh, NBA preseason games. If you do not have, if you don't get to go to NBA games, you'll still get the experience. Like the particularly in Portland, like they'll still do the stuff. They'll they'll do the the mid quarter little contests and things like that. Like they'll treat it. Um, like a like a regular season game but the fourth quarter maybe no one will play there's a chance it's just like kind of not um, really competitive after the first half in terms of like players you want to see Uh, I don't think NBA preseason it's not like the NFL where you're like there's a bunch of roster spots to be had Um, even even the games themselves if the Blazers are going to be competing for one last roster spot like the games themselves matter less than what what The coaches and stuff see in practice so i don't think preseason is like super um i don't know it's not it's not going to provide you a ton of insight but um it's fun like if you can go to both go to both if you can only pick one a regular season game is going to be way more fun Next question comes from Matthew at Revan Romulus on Twitter, who asks We all love the Carmelo Anthony experience, but between Nazir Little and Ambrady Simons, whose development was hurt the most by having a future Hall of Famer on the bench? This is an interesting one, right? Uh, like, Melo was fun, but he definitely soaked up minutes from those guys. Um, I think it's Nas just because of the minutes crunch. Like, Nas would have played those minutes. The Blazers would have been way worse. Like, Melo was significantly better than Nazir Little last year. Um, maybe not. Hopefully not too long in the future where Nas doesn't pass up what an aging you know 37 year old Carmelo Anthony is. But last year I think it's like Melo's offense was just far and away better than what Nas had brought to the table, and Nas' defensive potential was didn't quite pass up Melo's um, total lack of defensive ability. Like it's just that the 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 payoff wasn't enough to like go all Nas over Melo. Although some people may uh, disagree with me, I think Simons was hurt a little bit by it, but he still got to play a bunch. So I think it's Nas. Next question comes from Douglas Holstrom at Dougie Froth on Twitter, who asks, with the injury history of our bigs, what are the chances we start a game with all players under 6'10"? Oh, it's, it's unfortunately, it's pretty, it seems like reasonable at this point. Um, seems like a possibility for sure, particularly if they uh, the Blazers signed Marquis Chris to a, uh, to a, uh training camp contract for the chance for him to make the team. He he's not particularly big either, so he could be the third center and he's not even he's not exactly a seven footer. Um yeah, I, I mean Nurk's got an injury history, Cody Zeller's got an injury history, quite frankly, uh, so does Larry Nance Jr. Like the whole front line for the Blazers has has um, a, a dicey past in terms of in, in terms of injuries that's why i'm i'm big on adding frontline depth i don't think a backup point guard is the thing they need to add frontline depth is number one on my list but you know uh we'll, we'll see what happens hopefully the blazers at some point play all five dudes who are six foot three next question comes from earl sweatpants at sir alot on twitter who asks is the 14th roster spot likely to go to one of the summer league vets Michael Beasley, Emmanuel Mudiay, or Kenneth Freed? Or has that ship sailed? This question is a little bit old. Uh, this is I, I kept this for 10 days. So since then, th- the answer at the time was no. Like, no, it's not likely. I never thought it was likely to go to them. Although I'd heard that Freed was hopeful he would sign with the Blazers, but... No, it never seemed like even going into summer league, I was pretty consistent on this in this space saying that I thought it was very, very, very unlikely that any of those gentlemen made the roster, although there was some speculation in the other direction. Uh, but now since the Blazers have signed vets, Dennis Smith Jr. and uh, Marquise Chris, two uh, training camp deals. And if you haven't, if you want to learn more about them, there's a podcast waiting in your feed just before this one about both those two folk, both those two dudes. Um so yeah I don't think it's going to be them I think it's going to be a, I don't think they were ever particularly likely I know that there was like I said I know there's some speculation but I never it just doesn't it doesn't make sense for what the Blazers need Michael Beasley and Kenneth Freed never check the box um, and if Moody, if Moody had looks a little bit better in preseason or in summer league we would maybe be having a different conversation next question comes from Ben Thompson at Ben underscore son of Tomp on Twitter who asks would you rather see the Blazers win a championship or see Dame score over 100 points in a game this year um, for the sake of this, this sweet fan base that listens to my podcast all the time, I'll say championship. The championship is forever. Uh, the hundred point game would be fun, but it might end up being something that doesn't feel as fun when you should things go another way. A championship means that, you know, the Blazers, first of all, you get the parade, you get the title, you get the trophy, you get it's forever. Like I said, and also it probably means Dame stays for a long time and we will have another shot scoring hundred points in a game in the future. Next question comes from Scott at Scott PTB30, who asks Neil loves to operate in the margins, so I'm going to try to find some joy in the margins. Let's say Dennis Smith Jr. makes the team. Does he play more than Ben McLemore by virtue of being able to dribble more than once? Who gets more DNPCDs? That's did not play, coach's decisions. Um, I'm going to say that. DS Dennis Smith Jr gets more DNP's because I think Mclemore as a shooter you can just bring him in for like one possession at the end of the fourth quarter or something like that. Like okay let's put a fifth shooter on the court just so they have to guard everyone. I think that I think the sort of shooting specialist Mclemore means he'll get spot minutes. But if I had to guess like who would who would like you know who would weirdly end up with a larger role, it'd be Dennis Smith Jr. just because of like the, the dribbling, like you said, for sure, Scott, um, being able to dribble more than once is a real advantage that uh, Smith has over McLemore. Next question comes from Corvid19 at Metamaca, Meta Macasa. Meta That's what I'm going to go with at Metamacasa on Twitter. Now that we are looking like something like pretty close to the team we are going to be next season, what are your expectations for the 2021, 2022 team? Yeah. Um, I think this is something like a 47-win team, something in that range. Like, I think... I think they're going to be they're going to be decent, competitive, you know, I don't I don't think this is a 50-win juggernaut. I don't think this is a, a team that approaches 60 wins. I don't think this is one of the really really good teams in the West, but I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, you know, I think depth up front is an issue. I still think um, the secondary playmaking is an issue, but I think they're like, you know, 47 46 to 48 wins. I'll go 47 on average. I think it's like sort of right where they what right where they are after after an offseason that quite frankly was good. They did a good job this offseason they just didn't take the big swing that they desperately needed to do what they did was what neil does best is make make you know small moves to make the team better and i think the team is undoubtedly better it's just i don't know if they're dramatically better to make um to make a real splash so yeah i'll, I'll say i think they're about 47 wins and sixth in the west sixth in the western conference all right let's come back in the second segment answer more of your questions but first let me tell you about sweat block wipes the doctor-created, doctor-recommended antiperspirant wipe that is more effective and, and stronger than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it at night before you go to bed. Then slumber, rest your little head. The next morning you wake up and go about your day. Take a shower, put on whatever shirt you want to wear, and rock it with confidence. Because... You're going to st- you're not going to sweat. You are not going to perspire. Guaranteed, in fact, Sweatblock gives you the dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. Simple as that. Look, this product has been tested by firefighters on the Rachel Ray show, and it worked for them. And think about it, a high-stress, high-heat job. <laughs> imagine imagine a profession where you are going to guaranteed to perspire more than fighting fires. And it worked for those folks. So if you are someone who maybe has a less stressful job or a less warm job than firefighting, this might be the solution for you. It gives you that confidence that you need and it can be your secret weapon, your solution to heavy perspiration. So give it a try today. Go to sweatblock.com and get 20% off with the promo code LOCKEDON or find it at Amazon or at your local CVS. Today's show is also brought to you by DirecTV. DirecTV. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings you your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no... Annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right. Let's keep it rolling on this glorious mailbag Monday. Our next question comes from B. At b 10s on Twitter, who asks, "What defines a quote good shooter? Is it numbers? CJ McCollum's a career 40% three-point shooter, but rarely gets mentioned. Is it shot selection? Dame takes and makes tough clutch shots, but isn't considered a, a shooter. Is it just media narrative?" So, I find the first part of this question pretty interesting. I think what makes a good shooter is a really interesting question. The second part is. Um, is looking for a straw man. You found a straw man. Everyone considers damien lord one of the great shooters of all time, like all time, all time. Um truly celebrated as as a, a like game-changing shooter across anywhere you read. Um he might be considered more than that, uh which is like he's not just a shooter, he's not he's not Steve Novak or whatever, but he's like the idea that he's not considered a good shooter is um, is weird straw man nonsense, and I'm not going to address that part. uh The C.J. McCollum thing is is interesting because I don't think he was. I think his lack of volume of three point shooting, people thought he's like a great scorer. Oh, dude can really shoot it. But what his skill is is he can, he's a bucket. Like he can just score. And then like if you do more, you you know like the same with Dame. Like if you do more, you're not considered a shooter. Like people consider Clay Thompson a shooter because he doesn't dribble. Uh, C.J. dribbles a bunch. He's considered a scorer. Uh, he he changed his shot, died up a lot last year. This is McCollum. Um, he took way more threes. Uh no one thinks that he can't shoot he just maybe doesn't get the label a good shooter but i think the more interesting question is what defines a good shooter and the good folks at bballindex.com have a perimeter shooting skill which uh takes into consideration the distance of your three-point shots the shot creation so whether you're shooting catch and shoot jumpers or shooting off the dribble how open you are on your shots and the frequency of your attempts like it it tries to measure sort of all of these things both dame and cj rank in the 99th percentile in terms of shooters so um this in terms of perimeter shooting skill they both are great shooters Um, everyone is I think CJ doesn't necessarily have the label, but the idea that Dame doesn't have the label is nonsense. Uh, I think the what defines a good shooter is more interesting than um, blaming the media for something that doesn't exist. And I think what defines a good shooter is like the ability to, you know, if you're only a catch and shoot guy, you're a good catch and shoot, like spot up shooter. If you're only a guy who gets his shots off the dribble and doesn't really spot up a la Damien Lillard, like then you're a good, you're, you're a great shot creator. But that ability to spot up, Create your own shots, Get make difficult shots, make deep shots. That's, that's what makes a good shooter. And both Dame and CJ have shown um, a proclivity to do all of those things. 99th percentile last season, according to bballindex.com. Next question comes from Ben and Beaverton, who asks, There's been a lot of talk, reflection, and speculation about the team's defense. How much do you think simply not bringing back Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony changes or improves the defense? How about net rating overall? They were always mentioned as poor defensive performance, but seem to be better offensive threats than new players we added this season. They played a lot of minutes, so I'm very curious if there's much addition by subtraction here, or is the loss of bad defense and serviceable slash above average offense serve as a wash? I do think it's a wash, Ben. I do think it's a wash. Uh, I think the, you know, Ennis Cantor is an elite offensive rebounder. He has great touch around the rim, and he's, he's just a really good offensive player a really really good offensive player. He's he is such a negative on defense that you have to find right the right pairings to put him with. And the Blazers failed at that. The front office failed at that. The coaching staff failed at that. Like the front office didn't give good solutions. The coaching staff was not creative at all in sort of um hiding Cantor from from the issues like they played him with you know the coach Stotts played him with Avery Simons and Carmelo Anthony. It's just a nightmare, right? Like Three terrible defenders on the court all at the same time, uh, but Cantor's a really, really good offensive player, and with the right sort of help around him, he can be really, really good weapon in the regular season, which he was pretty consistently for the Blazers. Carmelo, you know, he sometimes he he takes some bad shots, but he can he can really shoot it. He turned into a really good three point shooter in his couple seasons in Portland, above forty percent, uh, made big shots. Like I, I do think there will be. Uh, a little bit of a drop-off I don't think and I don't think Cody Zeller is as good an offensive player as Enes Kanter or particularly close um, the idea would be that Tony Snell provides some shooting that Carmelo Anthony provides but without the sort of need to soak up possessions and need the ball so much but if you need to swing the ball in the corner or you know you have the Tony Snell option the idea is that Anthony Simons takes another step forward as an offensive player Nazir Little takes another step forward in the offensive player and what Larry Nance brings not as an individual offensive player, but sort of an okay spot up shooter and a connector with as playmaking on offense. Like the offense will still be good. It'll look and feel different, but it'll still be good with that second unit. I think it's that's a big question. And the idea is if like the, say the offense takes a little bit of a step back, but the defense takes a serious step forward, then you're you're okay. And that's that's the math here. And I, I tend to I tend to think that the Blazers will be better on defense and negligibly worse on offense with that second unit and probably. Probably about the same on offense overall, if not even a little bit better if, like, Chauncey Phillips can coax some more ball ball and player movement now. Next question comes from Dr. J, who asks, I see one of the most annoying things in the NBA is stars signing big money deals and then getting bought out when they're done with their team just to go sign vet minimums on a champion-type champion, champion type team to go chase a title. It is honestly getting a bit absurd and allows teams to basically fill out with three or four high priced players and round out the roster with high end talent on the tail end of their career. What if the NBA, and this would have to be part of the collecting and bargaining agreement, put a limit on how much money a team could spend on minimum deals with different thresholds for tax and non-tax teams. So for example, if they said max is 5 million for the vet minimum, then you could only afford one player with 10 plus years experience total and would have to fill out with younger free agents and draft picks. There is something to this, Doctor J. Uh, like I, I, I will just say up front, like I don't agree with the solution and don't like it. But there's something to this. Like you're, you're touching on something that is a, a, a thing in the NBA. Like the, the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets have basically just punted on the draft. They're just basically never going to use draft picks over the next five seasons. They've, they traded four second round picks this summer to get rid of DeAndre Jordan. They traded a whole boatload of first round picks to get James Harden next year. And their belief is they can get guys. Good vets to come sign minimum deals, and and guess what? They're right. They've got Blake Griffin. They've got Paul Millsap. They've got Lamarcus Aldridge. Uh, you know they've got a they've they've paid some other guys in there with, uh, with the money that they gave to Joe Harris and 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 stuff like that. And they'll have to pay Bruce Brown and and. And that things of that ilk, but like they don't need, they know that they can pay their big three and then fill out the back end of the roster with um, vets who want to chase a title like Millsap and Aldridge who are like functional good players and and Griffin too, like functional good players who could help a lot of teams, but um, are, you know, and maybe would have a, a larger would be more expensive on the open market than they are heading, heading to Brooklyn. So I, I think that's real. I think the, the Lakers have, have, have basically gone with a similar approach, although like they're back in their benches shittier. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I, the problem here, I see it is that, um, the Blazers or a team of the Blazers ilk, their best path forward would be to pay big money to a Damian Lode and a CJ McCollum and then hope to fill out the roster with minimums on the back end. And th- this rule would end up hurting a team like Portland that has no choice but to give you know give that designated veteran extension to their best player, like massive two hundred million dollar contract to Damian Lillard, pay their second best player close to the max, and then try to figure it out. Like player retention for small markets follows the same plan. It's just the back half of the roster they're playing a different game, and they have to you know small market teams have to hit draft picks. The Blazers haven't really hit draft picks, hence the trouble they're in. So while well, while I do think there's something to there's something to it, uh, Dr. J. I don't think it is, I don't think it perfectly aligns. Like, I think this rule would still hurt um, the exact teams it is purported to help. Uh, I don't, there is a competitive imbalance that, that, d- I don't know. I don't, large market is not even the right word, but like glamor destinations ha- have figured out how to are not even figured out, just have an advantage. Glamor markets have an advantage over, over the non glamor markets. Like it, it doesn't really matter. Um, how large some of these places are like even say Chicago like a massive city like it's just not a glamour market it's not a city where where people like desperately want to live and they have struggled in the post-Jordan uh era to well (laughs) by being really cheap and just like not attracting folks like not being a place where people want to go uh so I to me you're in the range of of a solution like there needs to be something there should be maybe some mechanics to how um, glamour market teams that are going to spend a ton of money on the top half of their roster, and then um, just kind of like appeal to the appeal to good players to take less money to to chase uh, that Lario B in the back half of their roster. Like, I think there's something to that. I just don't know if this is the this solution doesn't seem equitable for the rest of the league because the rest of the league has to sort of operate in the same space. Um, it's Doctor J. I think you're close. Like I said, you're in the ballpark, but I'm not sure this one. Uh, This one is a hit for me. All right, let's come back in the third segment and answer a whole bunch more of your questions, including lots of questions about Ben Simmons, because that's what we talk about on this podcast. But before we talk about Ben Simmons and more of your questions, let's talk about Bilt Bar. You know, Bilt Bar has just so many delicious flavors that there's something for everybody. So whether you're into a flavor like coconut or double chocolate or mint brownie or orange or my personal favorite, cookies and cream, You're going to find something that fits your palate. And if you don't know what fits your palate, or you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box. You'll get two of each of those nine flavors that they've got on their website right now. Try what you like. Find out what it is. Order more from there. Simple as that. You're going to find something that tastes great because Built Bar is just the best tasting protein bar in the market. But what if I told you they're healthy too? 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories ranging from 130 to 180, only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and no more than 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Don't don't even look for other protein bars. This is your best solution. So go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. It's that time of year, y'all. That's right. Football is back. College football returned last weekend. The NFL returns this week. And as always, betonline.ag is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. You can get updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-a-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, both open now at BetOnline. So head on over to that website, betonline.ag. Sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. They're matching you dollar for dollar with your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. Plus, if you act quickly, you can take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday September 9th season opener between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. If you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25. This is for new customers only and when you're signing up, use the promo code NFL100. That's free 25 bucks to make a bet on an NFL game this week. Sounds like a pretty good deal. That's bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your on your favorite sports, not just football. They got basketball, they got boxing, they got your favorite casino games. They got They got the end of the Major League Baseball season. Whatever it is, take advantage of their great offers. Go to betonline.ag. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass-first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Blazers. This next question... Comes from Justin, who asks, I've been all in on the Simmons for CJ trade for a while, but I've soured quite a bit on it. Here's why. I understand the positives that comes with the trade, but there's some negatives for me that make me question if it's worth it. And that's the theme of this whole segment is that everyone is hyped up about a Ben Simmons trade, but then they're thinking, wait, what? Because Ben Simmons is a conundrum. Ben Simmons is is just um ben simmons presents problems because he's a weird basketball player he's six foot ten point guard who doesn't like to shoot and not just three pointers everyone gets stuck on the three pointers he doesn't like to shoot 10 footers he doesn't like to dunk because he might get fouled and have to shoot free throws there are moments in the regular season when he can turn up that aggression but it comes when it came in the playoffs and he looked like someone who was scared to shoot and that that worries people not just Justin who worries that if you trade CJ for Simmons in a straight across swap, you're losing a lot of shot creation and a guy who's a certified bucket come playoff time. Or Blake who want Blake Pataro at ball don't lie 77 on Twitter who wonders that Simmons is a really weird fit with Nurk and that if you trade for Simmons, how much can they play together? A fair concern. Or Priest grinder at grinder priest on Twitter who asks Wouldn't the offense take a serious hit? And who would score off the bench if you trade CJ? All of these are reasonable concerns. CJ McCollum uh, typically leads the Blazers' bench unit and has in the past. We'll see how Chauncey Billups handles that, but I assume it'll be something at least kind of similar because staggering your best players is just a good way to coach a basketball team. Uh, Yeah, I think... So here's what I think. And and let me be clear. I think there are reasons to be nervous about the Simmons trade and I think like the like can Simmons help in the playoffs is like is is really a big part of this question. But this is where I land. I do think trading Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum will make the Blazers have less shot creation, a really valuable skill. And you're just hoping that like Norman Powell and, and Simons can pick up the slack and that might be too big of an ask. Right. Um, I think Ben Simmons is a weird fit with Nurk because he's a weird fit with every traditional center. Uh, he's a weird, you know, he's, he's kind of like a one slash five, like he's a point guard center. You know, he needs, he needs to operate within three feet of the basket on offense, but he also kind of needs the ball in his hands. It's he's a weird fit, right? He's a weird fit. Um, And I think taking in general, like if you, if you, the Blazers would, would take a, whatever, a step back theoretically in terms of, um, in terms of sort of their overall offensive firepower by adding Simmons. But here's what I think. Here's, here's where I still am. We know what this version of the Blazers can be. We, there's some unknowns with Chauncey Billups, right? Like there's, he could make this team better. I think that's very reasonable to think this team could be better with Billups at the helm. Sure, but I'm also, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the most important thing that you can have in the NBA is talent. And I think the talent upgrade of Simmons, one of the best defenders in the NBA, um, next to next to Dame is worth taking the risk because if you say it's a straight across trade, CJ for Simmons, right? Like you're taking steps back in shot creation, taking steps back in sort of overall offensive firepower. You're having to, you're kind of having to figure out some weird fits with, with the traditional centers on the roster and Zeller and Nurk. But I think the overall upgrade in talent is worth the risk. Because you kind of know what this team this team can be as is. They're going to be pretty good. They're going to be, you know, they might, they could, if things break right, they could be a Western Conference Finals type team. But if you want to be a team, is it worth it for, like from from you, dear listener, perspective, to say... This let's let's see what we got with this group and find out we don't have it, or to take a big risk. And for me, I've landed on the let's let's roll the dice, let's take a big risk. I I know what a Dame C J. parrin can get you. They could be really good and pretty darn fun. Like the, I don't think there's 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 no doubt in my mind this team could win you know 55 games, be third in the West, and make the Western Conference Finals, and et cetera, et cetera. Like I I think that is like while unlikely, certainly within the realm. That is within the realm. Like right now, if you don't do anything to the that is a possibility but i also think the most likely scenario is that this team is not quite good enough to win a playoff series and the next summer the whole uh franchise shifts and 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 dame leaves etc etc why not take a risk why not take the big risk Uh, there are obvious drawbacks as as justin and blake and and uh priest have all pointed out like obvious obvious risks But I'm willing to take that big risk for the payoff being that you take a massive step forward as an elite defensive team and Damian Lillard remains the engine on offense and that you coax Simmons into being a different type of player. I'm willing to take the risk. I think all of you have laid out the reasons why you wouldn't. A couple other things on the uh, Ben Simmons front. From Logan, at Logan Akio on Twitter who asks... Uh, do the Blazers include more players in the trade in a trade for Ben Simmons so they're so they would um, get under the uh, tax line so they could shave four million bucks off and get on the tax line they wouldn't have to pay the repeater tax which is a punitive tax you pay more than a like uh, since they're a repeater team they would pay instead of just like a, a dollar for dollar tax it's it's um, incrementally higher depending on how far you are into the tax so you would pay uh at some point the Blazers aren't there yet but two dollars and 75 cents on the dollar over the tax line like the warriors are playing it's a it's a wild thing it's really um it's a lot of money for billionaires to pay but they've got billions of dollars so i'm not too worried about it uh i think if you make the simmons trade you don't worry about the tax line you try to be as good as possible like i don't think you shed some talent just to get under like to do both um i think if you, I think there's a situation where the Blazers are not particularly good this year, and then they try to uh, get under the tax line by the end of the season, which is the deadline. But uh, if you if you do make a trade, like if you go all in and you're committed to it, you just you pay you have to pay the tax. Like you have to even if it's a small tax bill, you don't go super deep into it, but you have to pay the tax. Miles asks, let's say Philly decides they want the trade to happen. Is it even worth it to go through with it? Because if I'm not mistaken, didn't Ben Simmons state he doesn't want to play for Portland? So in theory, if he were to make the trade, what stops Ben from immediately requesting a trade and not showing up to play because he doesn't want to be here? Would it be safer just to keep CJ? I mean, that's the risk, right? That's the risk. This is among the risks that Simmons maybe doesn't want to be here. But you know where he really doesn't want to be is Philly. He's also under contract for four more years. He doesn't have to show up. He just doesn't get paid for the work. Um, it's at some point. At some point, you have to take a big swing, and Simmons seems like the best. The best player available that you could take a, a big swing, and it wouldn't cost you a, a crazy like a, a crazy asking price to get one of the thirty best players in the league. That's that's where I'm at. Bruce asks, if the Blazers don't do their best to trade CJ for Ben Simmons and thereby fail to raise their ceiling, and that failure is largely because Damien Lode would rather play alongside his friend, CJ McCollum, won't he have only himself to blame if they can't contend for a championship? And if that happens, can't Neil Olshay justifiably say that he acquired Dame for as much talent as he, that he acquired for Dame as much talent as Dame would accept? And wouldn't Dame lose his reputation for fairness if after turning down a three time all star, he then gave up on his team and asked to be traded? Whew, there's a lot going on there, Bruce. um yeah, I think I think there is a question of what of who Dame wants to play with like does he want to play with Simmons? I would guess yes. Um, yeah, I would guess yes. But does he want to play Ben Simmons at the expense of trading CJ McCollum? That's unclear. I think he would um based on some sort of conversations I've had with people around the league, it seems like CJ has or Dame has softened up to the idea of trading CJ in a way that he hadn't in the past. Does that mean that he's like actively shopping CJ? Hell no. That just means like he's come to a point where he knows the path forward might include trading CJ. And I think this summer was the first time that Dame was like truly open to that. Um, I'm not sure the front office was open as open to it, or they were open to it under the right price and the price didn't get there. Um, and I'm not even sure quite frankly, and I'll, I'll be clear here is I don't know if the Blazers want Ben Simmons. Uh, I don't, I would, if I had to guess, I don't think, I think Simmons ends up somewhere funny like Sacramento or Minnesota, like one of the not very good teams, um, takes like a risk on talent because it makes more sense for them. Um, I, I think CJ McCollum might be the best player you can get in a um in a, a deal for for Simmons, but it might not be the best package you can get. And that that I think I kind of, if I had to guess like the field or the Blazers, I'm definitely taking the field. Um, but like I just in general, I don't I don't think Simmons for CJ happens. But back to your question, Bruce, because um so like it, I think Dame is in some way culpable for for what has happened with the Blazers. Like I don't think it's all uh, Neil's fault like i think i think Dame's loyalty has been has been some of the reason that the blazers are in the spot they're in uh but we don't know all the machinations behind the scenes like we don't know if um you know if Dame has softened to the idea of trading CJ and then the and then the team won't do it for x and x price then you know who gets the blame where or whatever is like is the problem <laughs> you know like is it a hard that one's hard to sort of pinpoint i guess is what i'm trying to say so like I think I think you're 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 here but I I think you're drawing too stark a lines like if this doesn't happen then it's Dame's fault like I'm not I'm not seeing that. If the Blazers don't make a trade and if some of it is Dame's resistance he deserves some some blame. It also Uh, you know the the roster that they have was built by Neil Olshay. He deserves some blame too. And if Dame leaves, if Dame leaves, like if he decides I'm I'm going to I would like to be traded, then the like what does what does like the capital L loyalty that has been his brand for so long like what how do you square that I think that is I think that is something we will. When it happens, we will get there. Um, I don't think you can be both deeply loyal and also asking for a trade. I think that's definitely true. But it's like who's to blame for the Blazers not acquiring Simmons? Unless we come out, and unless there's a story that comes out and seems like very fair and obvious that that it was Dame who blocked the trade. I'm not sure I'm going to be pointing directly at him. I think uh, I think there's just as always several factors involved in this one. Next question comes from Tommy, who asks. Under Terry, Dame almost always played the entire first and third quarter. I've always disliked this rotation for four reasons. One, after the third quarter, Dame has already played roughly 30 minutes, ensuring that even on blowouts, he usually plays 30 plus a night, since neither blowout team usually pulls their starters in the third quarter two I want dame playing the entire fourth when dame time is at its peak but I want to avoid him playing the entire second half which wasn't possible in the old rotation three I think Terry was too rigid in this rotation and would sometimes take out a hot player just to keep dame in the entire first quarter and four I think dame having the team rely I think having the team rely on dame the whole first quarter and then suddenly pulling him and putting on a bench cooled CJ in the primarily second unit was a little bit of a momentum killer and has contributed to some second quarter struggles while Dame and Steph Curry have similar rotation patterns lots of stars Giannis Antetokounmpo Donovan Mitchell and LeBron James to name a few come out at some point during the first quarter do you think Chauncey Billups will or should change up this rotation pattern uh This is a Dame thing as much as a coach thing. Dame wants to play the whole first and third quarters. That is his preference. He prefers that he wants to do that. I think sometimes we get caught up in thinking that like one person makes a decision. This is the same thing with the Neil Olshay stuff. And that's why I put these together. It's like one person makes a decision. That's how it goes. It's, it's all of it. Like it's an ecosystem. Dame says what he wants and they listen to him because he's the franchise. Um, and he wanted to play the whole first and third quarters. Um, There's some of the stuff I don't agree with in here, Tommy. I think, like, you're on the right track, but, like dame playing the whole fourth quarter when dame time is at its peak like it's not like he's like magically better if he's if he starts at the 11:59 mark of the fourth quarter that's not how this works and um the rely on dame the whole first quarter and then suddenly pulling pulling him he's not suddenly being pulled the the clock isn't it more sudden if you take him out of the nine minute mark than if you like have a built-in television timeout at the end of the first quarter That seems less sudden at the end of the first quarter So I'll disregard those because I I just I just straight up don't agree with them. And but but I think the other the the sort of the larger question here is like the rotation stuff. I think there's some. I think there could be some value to it. The problem is that the Blazers have been super bad in the non-day minutes, regardless. Uh, so you know, taking him out with at the nine-minute mark of the first quarter, letting him play those first nine minutes, and then having a bad three minutes to close the third and three minutes to open the second—like, is that better? Does it matter when those bad minutes are? They might matter in the second half for sure, but I think it matters less. And like, you just got to figure out how to be better in those minutes. Um, I. I don't know if Chauncey will change it. It's a big question with all the stuff with Chauncey Billups. Like I've been, I have been, I said this um, to some friends last night when we were talking about the Blazers. Like there's, there's this idea that Chauncey Billups is going to change everything. And I just don't think at 31 and as good as Damon Lord is at basketball that he's going to dramatically change every single part of his game. I think you're going to be able to Pick and choose what what you can sort of get out of him. What is it that what is it that you can get that Dame can improve on? Right, like is it are you are you getting a better defender, a player more willing to play off the ball and run around and sprint in off ball situations? Are you getting a, a guy who's willing to sort of change up his substitution patterns because it makes the team? Like I think you, it seems unlikely you're going to get all of them. <laughs> you kind of got to pick one of them. Uh, like where is the one, you know, it's give and take like with any, any sort of professional relationship. So it's like, where is, what is Dame willing to, what is Dame willing to sort of commit to? And I think you could, you could, Conceivably, playing a little bit more off the ball, which is something he's he really has not wanted to do, or or sort of trusted his teammates to to be care of. Uh, maybe you get a little bit of that. Maybe you could get a little bit better defense because it's like this the idea that there's going to be um, more accountability on the defensive end. But can you get both of them, you know, 100% improved and then also change up your minutes? I don't. I think you're, I think Billups can make this team better. But the idea that this is like this dramatic change coming seems like a miss sort of a misread on on how how coaching works in the league. They work with their best players. and and I think Chauncey's ability, Chauncey's like strength here, will be understanding what it's like to be a good NBA player and have a relationship with a coach. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I think, If the Blazers can find a second unit that um, excels with Dame on the bench, then all for it. Get him out early. um, But I think playing him the final 12 minutes to end every single game of the year is not a good solution. I do not think that's a good plan. I think you'd much rather him come back into the eight minute mark and give you eight final minutes of a burst, you know, seven final minutes of a burst to close the game. I think you need rest playing 12 consecutive minutes to close out an NBA game is tiring um that's that's a big ask for folks you've got to sit him at some point the onus is on the coach to find a a bench unit that works and then convince Dame to sit from there and i think this is sort of the larger I'm using this as a sort of larger jumping off point for the whole Billups conversation. I think he can improve the team. I think he'll make the team better. Like I think it's reasonable to make he'll make the team better. But he's not going to be able to fix every single part of of what they do and some of it is because the players have a big say in how this works and the big big sort of they they as mu- they're part of the decision making in a serious way, particularly Damian Lillard. So, some of it is just some of it is, is, is the give and take from coach and star player. And I think in terms of if Dame still wants to play the whole first and third quarters, that is one, if you're a coach, you got to give it to him and figure out the rest of the margins. That is going to do it for this edition of Mailbag Monday. Coming to you a little bit later in the week this week. But our mailbag episode, if you want to get involved in a future one, just tweet at me at Rich. Or send me an email locked on Blazerspod at gmail.com. We got two more great shows coming for the rest of the week. An interview with Steve Jones Jr. an interview with Joe Freeman of the Oregonian. Uh, two uh, wonderful basketball minds that I'm glad to I'm excited to have on here and have them share their expertise with you. So make sure you make sure you come back and listen to those shows later this week. Check your feeds for those two interviews coming later this week. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.